Happy Easter. Uh, it's one of the stranger, I think, positions in the world to be not only a priest in the 21st century of all things, but a female priest. And this was never driven home to me as much as when I moved into the rectory in uh, one of my former churches in Hoboken, and which is a largely Roman Catholic town. And I would sometimes get the doorbell rung, ding dong, and everybody would come with a bunch of questions. And depending on what mood I was in, it was great to be a woman because I'd open the door and nine out of 10 times, whoever um, was at the door would say, is the fada in? And I could say, nope. <laughs> but then also you get all kinds of questions as a female priest. One of my favorite ones was people would look at me, and this is also um, in Hoboken, and they'd look you up and down, and they'd say things like, are you a nun or something? <laughs> but the best of all, you really haven't lived until you've worn a clerical collar and been nine months pregnant. <laughs> there is nothing that messes with people's heads more than that. It was so much fun. And I happened to get to be nine months pregnant during a interdenominational service that was held at Our Lady of Grace one year. And it was so awesome because when communion happened, up I went in my collar, nine months pregnant, in front of the Roman Catholic priest, and I went. <laughs> I was so happy. But it is, it is a strange job. It is a weird job, and the fact that I put a collar on you know, it's only fair if I'm like putting on a billboard that makes me represent institutional religion, whatever comes my way, I pretty much deserve because I've, I've literally asked for it. And I get all kinds of bizarre requests and quite crazy questions like, would you, this has happened, these are all things that have happened, would you bless my daughter's car? And I'm like, okay, I learned to throw water on anything. Would you bless my daughter's car? This happens at, um, here at Grace Church. It's not the first time this happened. Would you bless a picture of my cat? <laughs> my, gold, my son's goldfish just died. What am I supposed to tell him about where Sonny the goldfish went? Right? And so you get all these kinds of questions, but there's one question that good, respectable people just simply do not ask a clergy person. Never in my, I don't know, 15 or so years of being a priest and walking around with a collar have I been asked this one question, which is the question, because it's just simply not something that rational, enlightened, educated people would be willing to ask because it's kind of an embarrassing question. And the question is, do you believe in the resurrection? Not one person has ever asked me that question until I came to this <laughs> church. And I was being interviewed at a pizza parlor by a bunch of people at Grace Church. And 
I was sitting here eating my slice and they were looking at me and I was sniffing at them and they were like holding their cards, you know, like it's like a game of poker when you're at an interview, particularly for a priest, because you don't want to seem too excited because like, look, I got a good gig going already and you guys are just, you know, be super lucky to have me, so you know, you guys have to woo me into it because I don't even know how I feel about it. And then the, the search committee is all like, oh, we're like the most awesome place you could ever even consider being a priest. And by the way, you're eating that slice and you're all like nonchalant about it, but we know you're desperate. <laughs> and you know, because we just went to church with you and we know how cool we are. So they're just, you know, they so that's how it is, and you're sitting there. And then there was this one moment, just like, oh, here are the kinds of questions you ask, kind of like you're on the dating game, right? And it's just kind of like, oh, what do you do with your free time? And I'm like, what am I going to say, you know? I, I watch horror movies? No. I'm going to say, I run. And I read books, right? I don't sit in my bed and watch TV and whatever, you know, like eat big pots of macaroni. I'm not telling you that. I'm keeping that to myself. And so that's going back and forth. We're asking these questions. Oh, and, and tell me about your budget, I say. You know, and that's supposed to make you go, well, you know. And it goes back and forth, back and forth. And then finally, somebody in this congregation who I will not name said, do you believe in the resurrection? And I went, I love you guys. I am desperate to come be your priest. Please, please can I be your priest? And I've felt that way ever since. It was the most exciting moment of my life that somebody wasn't humiliated to ask that question. And I, I assure you that there are Episcopal churches, enlightened, normal, mainline Protestant churches all over this country and probably in other ones this morning at this very moment where the priest is preaching about how, well, the resurrection, it's kind of a metaphor. It's, here's what it is. When we go and we're nice to people that no one likes or we share our food with the hungry, or we go visit somebody in the hospital, it's, that's how Jesus is kind of still with us because we live out his ministry and how we act in the world. And so that's why we're excited about the resurrection. So that's one way out of this embarrassing topic, which is the topic for this morning, the resurrection. How do you get out of this as a, a rational person? So that's one way. And then the other priest way is you say, well, Jesus is just this sterling example of how it's the, the uh, he's an affirmation of the strength and the courage and the moral capacity to overcome obstacles of the human being. He's just the best and like the, the goal that we should all try to achieve as human beings. And when we do, that's sort of like the resurrection. Here's my problem with preaching a sermon like that. I really don't have that much faith in the individual human being at all. And I'll tell you, another, I'm sorry. I mean, you might want to leave now, but I just, I don't see it. I don't see it. Show me where I'm wrong. I mean, you can look anywhere in the world. 
There's the refugee crisis. There's the horror that happened in Brussels. There is just the, the violence on the street that we went and we prayed over on Good Friday. So I can point around me to a million examples of why I'm just not going there. Like the resilience of the human spirit. I think that we kind of sink, often sink to the lowest denominator and stay there lots of times. And then I don't even have to point my finger out there because right now what I'm doing is I'm showing you where I see all this terrible stuff happening in the world where, you know, I can say I'm not a part of. Let me tell you about myself and the resilience of the human spirit. Monday, Thursday, after we had finished the foot washing and the Passover and it was 10 o'clock at night and I was going to be here in the morning at 7 a.m. to do evening prayer and it was like about 10.30 at night. I was exhausted and I was just going to go pass out on my couch. It's Holy Week, people. And I went in to take off my shoes to pass out on my couch and I realized I'm still hungry. And I am too lazy to go over to Helen's and go get myself a slice. So I decide I'm going to get in the car and go to McDonald's at 10.30 at night. And on the drive, I'm thinking, I should not be supporting a chain restaurant where people are not getting a decent living wage. And think about the industrialization of farming and how animals are treated. And this food is crap, and it's creating obesity in this country. Oh, screw it. I'm going. And I get in the car, and I'm thinking these things in line. And there is a line at 10.30 at line. Now, why is there a line? So I finally get my turn, and I'm like, I'd like a large number three crispy chicken meal with a big Coke, you know. Okay, that'll be 8.03, drive up to the window. And then I drive up, and I'm waiting. It's like 10 minutes. It's like, okay, this is fast, but now it's 15 minutes, and now I'm starting to get a little ticked off. And so... The lady comes to the window and says, your order's almost ready. Would you please pull over to the side? And I'm like, what? But I do. I pull over to the side. I'm not even kidding you. They totally forgot me. <laughs> and this is what your rector did. I got out of my car after 20 minutes of waiting like a crazy, indigent maniac and I walked up to the sliding glass window straight in front of the car that was ahead like like was behind me I didn't even care anymore and I started yelling Hello! and it got worse it devolved I'm actually banging on the window Hello! and at the end of this thing I am, I am a berserk maniac, and I finally get my bag of food, and I'm kind of victorious, and I get in the car, and I'm thinking, you are the most screwed-up priest in HUD. What the hell? I didn't even say hell. You know what I did say. What the hell is wrong with me? I am so nuts, right? This is me that, you know, Holy Week or no Holy Week, I'm still me. And I, I'll try for a little bit, but I usually go, you know, revert straight back to form. And I've tried for a long time to be a better person, people. So you can't even say that I'm not trying. Maybe I'm not trying hard enough. And I keep losing and gaining the same 25 pounds. I'm going to start running right after this on Monday, but right now I'm eating chocolate. I'm eating chocolate bunnies writing my Good Friday sermon. That's the kind of clergy person I am. And it just doesn't get any better than that. And I will tell you, one of the reasons that I love the Bible is that the Bible knows that it's not just me. When I start feeling bad about myself, 
the Bible says you don't even want to go there. Talking about people reverting back to form. Abraham, the father of monotheism, goes up to Pharaoh and he's terrified of Pharaoh. Do you know what he, if you sit and read this book, it will change your mind about morality being found in the Bible. Abraham goes up to Pharaoh and he's terrified of Pharaoh and what Pharaoh's going to do to him when he gets to Egypt. Do you know what Abraham says to Pharaoh? Check out my wife. She's hot. And he pretends like his sister and says, here, Pharaoh, take my hot sister. That's Abraham, the father of monotheism. Moses, later on in this great story, goes off and kills somebody. Jacob goes up to his older brother who is stupid as a rock. Stupid Esau. And he goes to his idiot big brother and he says, look Esau, I got a bargain for you. I've made you a pot of soup. I'll give you some soup if you give me your, you know, all of the inheritance that you're supposed to get as the other brother, older brother. And Esau says, duh, okay. And makes the trade. This is, these are the fathers. These are the pillars of monotheism I'm talking about here, people. These are the people that we reverence, okay? And then when you get to the New Testament, no one's act has suddenly been cleaned up. No one, Jesus's, Jesus's disciples, if they could write, they wouldn't be able to put together a resume anyway. And maybe the only one who would be able to possibly is Matthew, the tax collector, but his, his resume would say that he was a really good employee of Caesar's Repo Incorporated business. That is his credential to be one of the disciples. They are a bunch of messed up human beings. And they watch Jesus throughout his three-year ministry. They see him going to heal the sick. And he goes and he stops the prostitute from being stoned. And he brings children to him. The disciples are saying, don't talk to these idiot kids. They don't know anything. We have to go talk to important people. But Jesus brings the children and says, look, you guys, if you want to enter the kingdom, you have to be like one of these kids. You have to be grateful, and you have to be delighted by small things, and you have to be open to the possibility of something wonderful coming, and, and be trusting and love one another. You have to be like a kid. And the disciples are like... And then one of them later on says, look, when you're made king of the world, can I get a penthouse office with a great big view of Manhattan, they totally miss it. They do not get it. They are exactly like me, which makes me very hopeful. <laughs> and one of the things that I love best when I think about these stories is that when I have this friend who was a Buddhist monk, and he had this wonderful um, story about there has only been one time in the history of Christendom, this guy, by the way, used to be Roman Catholic, but he said there's only been one time in the history of Christendom when all of the church was on the same page. And that is when Jesus got arrested and crucified, and one of the disciples said, run! So there's this guy named Pincus Lapide, and he is an Orthodox Jew. And he actually wrote a book 
called The Resurrection of Jesus. And he talks about this bizarre thing that we have in the New Testament, where you have this group of complete failures and moral mess-ups and people who probably can't write their name on a piece of paper. How is it possible that these human beings actually went out into the world and totally changed it? So on Friday, these guys were hiding under the table for fear that they were going to be the next ones crucified. And when Mary comes and tells them that the tomb is empty, they literally roll their eyes. And, and Luke here says that the disciples thought it was an idle tale. So how can these guys on Sunday, today, be running around in the street preaching in a bunch of different languages in the public square, not caring who sees them, and everybody, somebody in the crowd yelled out, they're drunk, right? And Peter, I love Peter because he's still Peter. Peter says, I don't get drunk till 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm not drunk yet, right? So there he goes. Peter's out in the street, and then the disciples get together, and they share everything that they have one another, and they feed the poor. And today, in the lesson from Acts, do you know the lesson in Acts where uh, Peter's preaching to Cornelius? Cornelius is a Roman centurion. He is the bad guy. And Peter is with this Roman centurion and his family embracing him as his brother in Christ. So Pincus Lapide brings these two. It's like, how is Fri put Friday next to what's going on on Sunday? And how could this have possibly happened? Is there actually a 48-hour self-improvement plan that is that effective? that could create winners out of losers in a span of 48 hours who go on and spread the gospel throughout the earth? Is it possible? Pincus Lapide decides he really doesn't think so. So there's only one possibility. How can you go from Good Friday to this morning and have this change happen among the apostles? And Pincus Lapide decides, the only possibility is that Jesus got resurrected. What else could have possibly happened? That's the only possible thing. You explain it. Come up with a better answer. So Pincus Lapid is like, I guess it happened. It's Orthodox Jew. I love this book. He's wonderful. So that's where I stand. And I will tell you that the reason I believe, I believe in the resurrection. Amen? Amen. The reason I believe in the resurrection is I see it all the time. People who are broken and messed up or nuts becoming filled with the gospel and having their lives totally changed all the time. I think about how when I was at my last church in Bhutan, I did this Bible study and people came and we studied the New Testament and we were all into it, it was interesting and we were praying together. And then I got a call from these guys, Matt and Brian. And Matt and Brian had been together for like 10 years and they had achieved the American dream together. They bought this gorgeous house 
and it was a four-bedroom, three-bathroom thing with this beautiful lawn, and it was perfectly manicured, and they both were gorgeous, and everybody adored them, and they were perfect, and they call me, and they're panicked. And I'm like, what is wrong? Could you meet us this morning? Can you meet us this morning at 8 o'clock? We really have to talk to you. We really have to talk to you. I'm like, what the heck? What could happen? So I come into my office, and they're standing there, and their eyes are the size of saucers. And I say, guys, what's up? And they said, we've been up all night talking about our lives. And we came to the conclusion, we don't know what the hell we've been doing. <laughs> what have we been doing? And they decided that they wanted to sell their house, which they did, and move into this like one bedroom little apartment next to the church and spend all their time doing ministry at the fireman's home and out in Hoboken or at this little place that we started on Main Street, Light on Main. And it just, they, they came and their lives were totally turned around. And I was thinking, I wish I had some insurance for the gospel. Because if these guys decide that they've made a mistake, I hope they don't think that, but they did. Their lives were totally turned around. And then I knew this other guy, this guy named George, who literally, he was estranged from his entire family, and he had been drinking basically all the time every day after he lost his job, and he had a little apartment, I kid you not, with a kitchen that had a view of the cemetery. And that was George's life, and Barbara knew him, and Barbara's sitting right here, and one day, instead of going to Johnny's bar, George decides that he's going to go to St. John's Church, and everything changed. He became the father of everybody in that church, and he sat at our little storefront, and he had the doors open and spent time with people that nobody else was willing to spend time with. And he listened to them, and he fed them lunch, and he, read, and he hung out with them. And when he died, the church was packed with crying people who adored George because they'd literally seen this guy resurrected from the dead. Amen. I've seen the resurrection. I've seen it more than once or twice or 20 times. And I will tell you, as a member of Grace Church, there is nothing outside of the resurrection that would make me believe that in one church we could have Donald Gallagher of the Radical Fairies and Brett Schindler of the, the former mayor and Republican uh, mayor of Jersey City out in a trash-strewn backyard pulling up posts from a fence that used to exist. There is no other place on the planet that stuff like that happens except in the church. And the only reason it happens is because Christ is resurrected from the dead. Amen. Yeah. Brothers and sisters, you have no health in yourself, but you are so very lucky, as I am, that there is a God who brings life out of death and who resurrected Christ this day and makes everything new so we don't have to figure out how to do it ourselves. We all have a second chance and we have a third chance and the Lord Jesus Christ has made you a new people and everything is possible today because it's true. Christ is resurrected from the dead. 
let us say one more time, Alleluia. Alleluia.